With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is The Setup Man with Patrick Despain, Jeff Johnson, and your host, Robert Pike. Good evening, podcasters. Tonight we have a uh, very, very special guest. We're very lucky to have on a uh, a fellow former SPC athlete and your new Rangers pre and post game host on 105.3 FM, the fan, Jared Sandler. Jared, first, I want to thank you so much for coming on with us. And then my first question is really, you know, you're a fairly young guy, um, like 25. When when did the idea of being in the media and being in the broadcast world kind of first creep into your mind. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I don't know if special guest is appropriate. I think maybe just guests. I don't know if I'm special yet, but uh, I probably you, you referenced SBC athlete, probably those days when I realized that I probably wasn't good enough to play sports uh, beyond uh, certainly beyond college. And, you know, even if in college, not at a very high level and uh, I wanted to do something with sports and, I figured I, I enjoy talking about sports. I enjoy watching and, and listening to and reading about sports. So I figured I'd give it a shot. But the reality is when I had those ideas, I had no clue what it meant to actually be a member of the media and to actually pursue those goals. But uh, I guess it was a pipe dream at the time, but probably probably about high school. Is, uh, is, is play-by-play kind of what you're working toward? Is that kind of the dream? Or is it kind of what you're doing now, just an on-air, an on-air personality and doing the pre- and post-game type, type stuff? That's a great question. Um, when I was in college, it was all play-by-play, and it really was, even though I did other sports, uh, baseball was the goal. But after spending about two and a half, three years in the minor leagues, I wanted to at least broaden my horizons and I took on my last year in the minor leagues. I also took on hosting a radio show when I was in Michigan and I really love that side of it. I'd love to find a way to combine multiple, uh, multiple, I guess, avenues, if you will. Uh, but I don't know how possible that is with the demands of baseball season. I love doing anything that involves talking about sports so if i end up 15 years from now hosting a talk show i'll be thrilled if i end up doing play-by-play i'll be absolutely thrilled i, I do love baseball and i do love play-by-play and to be honest with you uh, and this is more out of respect for all the the great minor league broadcasters part of the reason why i was so comfortable taking a step back from it when i moved here was because i heard all these guys and they're tremendous and i just didn't know how i stacked up against them and it's so tough to go through the levels as it is. I really got lucky, but uh, I just, uh, like I said, out of respect for them, I, I didn't know how, how possible or how long I'd be chasing the major league dream if I continued with it. So that's one of the reasons why I stepped back a little bit, but it's, it's worked out well and I'm, I'm really excited. 
Jared, Jared thanks. Uh, thanks. This is Jeff Johnson, and thanks for yeah, coming hey, on. Jeff. I appreciate it. Um, hey, uh, what are you looking forward to the most as far as this specific Rangers season and kind of breaking into your role and um, more specifically kind of not necessarily what's on the field. Maybe it's on the field, maybe off the field, whatever. But what specifically about this season are you looking forward to? Well, one of the things that I've always – I don't want to say complained about is the right, right way to put it. But one of the things that I've always been frustrated with is the lack of development from the players. Once they got to the major leagues, we've, you know, we've had this great farm system for years and it has paid its dividends. I mean, it, it certainly helped with the rise of this franchise, getting the back-to-back world series, but it just seemed like a lot of the, the blue chip guys from that farm system would come to the majors and they would make an impact, but we haven't seen them really grow and continue to improve. I mean, you know, Elvis Andrews has kind of stalled out a little bit. Derek Collins has been inconsistent, and maybe we see this year that things have been put together. But then you look at Mitch Moreland, and, you know, I, I hate to think that Chris Davis only became what he became because he left the Rangers. You know, I, it's just that, that, that bothers me to think that that would be the case, that we get these great, talented players, we develop them through the minor leagues, but then once they get to the major league level, that development stops. And one of the things that I know a lot of people have talked about with Jeff Bannister's development because of his minor league background and, and his personal career development, even at this level is, is a big forte of his. And I spoke to a few players uh, who were a part of the pirates last year and they, they both raved about that without me even bringing it up. They said that it's amazing how you take major league baseball players or how he took some major league baseball players and he continued to help them grow. And so I think with the young talent, both in the present and the future, I think that's huge. Uh, and that's probably the thing I'm most excited to, to see. And, uh, one guy in particular I'd really like to see that take place with is Leonis Martin because we've all seen the talent that he has, but he's so frustrating at times because he just doesn't put it together. So I, I, I think he's going to have a pretty good year. I think he's going to have a year that makes Rangers fans confident that he's the center fielder for this team. And I think Jeff Bannister is going to play a part in that. I obviously not certain, but that's something I'm really excited about. So Jared, you're from Dallas originally or native, correct? Yes, sir. Born and raised. Okay. So my question for you is uh, I'm, I'm assuming you grew up a Rangers fan, at least partially. No, definitely full, full on diehard Rangers fan, even through the bad years. Okay. So my question is, you know, being a, a the new host of the pre and post game show, do you think that gives you a leg up on somebody that may have been hired from another part of the country, knowing how intricate, you know, your intricate knowledge of the farm system, the front office, um, and the radio here in, here in Dallas. Well, the, the one thing that, and, and I just came from Michigan where I had to cover the Tigers and the Red Wings and the Pistons and the Lions. And, you know, you can put in a lot of time and a lot of effort to familiarize yourself with the, the nuances of each organization and, and, you know, the players and whatnot. The one thing that you can't replicate is the genuine passion and knowing what it's like to be a Rangers fan or, you know, I had to, I had to try and learn what it was like to be a Tigers fan when I was in Michigan. Uh, and, and I could learn some things, but I could never really adopt that. I could never really assume that identity, but you know, I've, I've been a Rangers fan, not since the existence, uh, you know, I'm, I am only 25, but I've been there through the, some of the bad years, the dry run, uh, the A-Rod era. I, you know, I was there, I was, you know, I, I still don't like to speak about what happened uh, in 2011, uh, you know, I, and so I have that. And I'd like to believe that hopefully listeners will be able to connect with that passion that I'll have for this organization. I'm not going to be a homer. You know, I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, in the middle of a seven game losing streak, talk about how hard they're playing. And, you know, they should get a certificate for trying hard. 
But, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely going to be rooting for the Rangers from the minute the first pitch is thrown until the final out, uh, and then hopefully give, uh, you know, a, a post-game show with journalistic integrity, but still maintain that level of passion. Jared, uh, oh. on, the, on that same note, without asking you to kind of throw a fan base under the, bu- under the bus, so to speak, but what, uh, what have you noticed the differences between – say a Rangers fan base and a, and a Tigers fan base, so to speak, other than maybe, like you said, you, you were saying you tried to find the passion because they weren't your team, but what do you, what do you know? What do you notice about the two different fan bases? Well, you know, the, the Tigers obviously have so much history and fans there love to draw back on that history. And they're always making comparisons to this player and that player, which, you know, the nature of, an organization that has not been around, at least in Arlington, for nearly as long as the Tigers have been in existence. You just don't have that that library of players and experiences to draw from. But I, I don't know. I got the sense I was rubbed the wrong way when I first got there because I looked at Jim Leland in a way that I, I looked at Ron Washington. It is a manager that you might not love everything tactically that he does, but the players love to play for him and the players would run through a brick wall for him, yet Jim Leland was constantly getting bashed and Jim Leland was constantly getting ridiculed. And I mean, there was, it's crazy for a manager that's had the success that he's had. There was such a sense of relief from uh, a pretty large faction of Tigers fans. And I just never got that. Um, And, you know, I I always had some fun with the, you know, what happened in the playoffs with Nelson Cruz and that series, uh, you know, before I got there. And I don't think that they appreciated that, but I, I think that Tigers fans, have felt they, they feel a little more entitlement than Rangers fans do, even considering Rangers fans can say that they were a strike away uh, from getting that first World Series, and the Tigers have experienced that, that joy. Not a lot of Tigers fans of, of my generation have experienced anything quite like what Rangers fans have experienced. Uh, their World Series trips have not been uh, as fruitful. Uh, not that the Rangers have hoisted the trophy, but they've at least uh, been a little more competitive. So, I, I don't know. I, I think the entitlement is, was a little bit different. Cool. Uh, unless you guys have more questions specifically for Jared, I'd kind of like to start going around the horn with just Ranger stuff. Um, did you guys have anything else? No, my next question was going to be involving this next season. So, let's, let's move on. Okay, cool. Let's, and let's go around the horn a little bit. Um, with, the, uh, with the recent news, uh, I, I feel like every – Every bit of information that comes out of spring training is either about how somebody's in the best shape of their life or they're injured. But uh, with, 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 the rec- with, with the recent news about Yurikson uh, and Profar, who will likely lose all of this season uh, due to another uh, operation he's going to need on his shoulder, um, you know, hey, if if all if all things go well, and let's say he does make the team in 2016, that's 30 months that he's going to have between professional at bats. What do you guys feel like? Um, is uh, what does this mean long term for both Jerickson and the Rangers? Him losing yet another season. Jared, go ahead and take that one, man. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I guys, I got the sense this off season and talking to some people that not that they had given up on him by any means, but whatever production he gave this team would simply be looked at as a bonus. You know that. He has no value anymore, so they they can't really trade him. I mean, it's not worth it at this point with the time they've invested in him and the assets they've turned down for him. And, you know, the the time off is certainly going to be tough because of the timing and everything. 
And there was no guarantee that this guy had it all laid out on a red carpet for him anyway. Uh, I just, I get the sense. I don't want to say they've given up and they've moved on, but I, I just, I think whatever production he's able to give them is going to come as a surprise and they'll happily take it. But if they're having honest conversations amongst the front office, they're not considering him being anything more than a small part of their future. Yeah. And, and I'm going to throw this out there and let anybody take it or Jared, if, if he was a pitcher, we're talking about a totally different conversation, obviously, but like you were saying with the timetable, all this, you know, in my opinion, this is a year that he get, you know, he gets rehabbed, he gets healthy, it, he gets fixed. And with proper rehab, with proper care, you know, even if he has to slide over and play second because maybe the arm strength doesn't come back as much as uh, before the surgery, he still has the chance to be a very productive player. All hope is not lost, and I don't think the red flags are as, are as major as, like I said, if, if he was a, a big power arm off the mound or something. Oh, yeah, it, it, I agree with that. Uh, and, and, you know, the crazy thing is he's still so young, and it's not like he's going to be coming back as a 27-year-old. He's coming back as a 23-year-old next year, if this year's lost. I just – so if he's going to second, where do you have Odor going? Do you have him moving to third? I, I haven't thought that far through. I just, <laughs> I just was thinking – I was thought, thinking about that earlier today that – it doesn't feel like an end-of-the-world type of thing to me. It obviously needed to happen. Let's take a year. Let's get him right. And 2016 or 2017 Profar may still be productive and still get a lot out of him. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I'm curious what they would do. And, and you know, time will tell, obviously. But I got the sense that he was certainly going to start the year in the minors. So now with another year out of baseball, I got to believe that, you know, he will definitely start the year in the minors uh, in 2016. And, you know, I wonder if they just simply try and get his value built up and, and move on and, you know, needs to change the scenery. But I don't know if I don't know what they think about Odor moving off a second. And so that that to me is the biggest hurdle. I, I don't disagree that, you know, he couldn't amount to something. I just don't know where they see his future if it isn't at shortstop uh, and if it isn't at third base, because I think they like Odor as a second baseman. I'm not sure if they like him anywhere else in the infield. And I agree. I don't think you move Odor off the second base. He plays. He's naturally gifted at that particular position. Now he may be able to move to third, but you've got Gallo and Rua, and a couple other guys that can move in and play that position. So, and then, and then obviously, if they're going to extend or take the clause off a of Beltre's contract for 2016, it's you know we're we're another year till we have to worry about that. So I think Odor's your second baseman for a long, long time. I, I certainly hope so. I, I think the biggest gut punch about this, at least to me, and I, I tweeted this out the other day, going back to 1990, if you look at Baseball America's number one overall prospect, the guys between 1990 and 2013, only four of those guys never made an all-star team, and, and Profar is one of them. So, at, you know, when you look at the balance sheet and you look at, you know, the most attractive asset you have is, is a young, controllable uh, player Man, that, that really hurts for if his career is not going to be able to continue on the same sort of path that he was already on. But, um, yeah, certainly for this year, um, you, you've got Odor, and, and, and you have to hope that, that he's your future there. But uh, moving on a little bit to some better news, possibly, that, that came out of camp today was, uh, was both Adrian Beltre and John Daniels kind of hinting at, a, at the possibility of an extension. Uh, how do you guys feel about, you know, Beltre is going to be 36 at the beginning of this season. Um, how do you guys feel about possibly dropping that plate appearance 
portion of his vesting option out of the contract and then maybe extending him for another year beyond that. Personally, I'm okay with it because unless he got hurt, which is always a possibility at his age, he was going to, he was going to hit the plate appearance minimum anyway. Um, as far as going beyond that another year with that guy, I take the chance. I mean, I know it's a lot of money cause he, he's going to make 16 million and that may, you know, they may get a little bit of a discount on an age 37 type season, but that won't be much of one, but I'm okay with the risk, the risk there. Cause the kid, that guy just hits. That's all he does is hit and field and lead. And, and if you look at maybe next year by picking that up, you finally may be able to solve this DH black hole that they've had the last couple of years after they give Mitch Moreland or maybe a Kyle Blanks or someone a chance this year. So it could it could be a nice uh, nice DH fit there as last year as well. I love Adrian Beltre, guys. He's I mean he's my favorite Ranger to watch. If I'm if I'm having that conversation with him though, if I'm John Daniels, I, I'm asking him about what his thoughts are moving positions next year. Uh, not not permanently necessarily, but just you know, would he be open to playing a little first, and would he be open to DHing more? Because I want to preserve every ounce of his hit ability that I can. And as great as he is defensively, I think that's going to start to dwindle a little bit here and there. And you know, the one thing that concerns me, and, I, and I'm not. You know, I think these guys got to play the game. I'm not someone who looks at baseball as something that's completely played through a computer, though I, I certainly acknowledge and, and try and understand a lot of the analytics. And, and one of the the numbers I believe in is the batting average on balls in play. And I know it, it differs for speed guys or guys who hit the absolute crap out of the ball, which Beltre certainly fits in that category more than the speed one. But his BAPIP was over 350 last year, and – if there's a guy who I am concerned about having a, a bit of a drop this year, uh, he is one of them because we already saw the power dip by double digits last year. And the reason I don't think we're talking about it as much is because he still hit over 320, which was ridiculous. I mean, it, it was a saving grace of the season with all the, you know, the misery that we had to experience. I'm just I'm, I'm really interested to see what his year is like. Uh, you know, does he get the power back or do we see a little bit of a drop? And no matter the case, though, I'm on board with keeping him and, and dropping the, the vesting option with the plate appearances because uh, the leadership. I think, uh, you know, that was mentioned earlier. He is the most respected guy in that clubhouse. And with young infielders like Rugnet Odor and even Elvis Andrews, who I don't think is a great leader. And I, I, I don't know that we, he needs to be a leader. I think that was something that was slapped on him uh, when Michael Young left. Adrian Beltre is this team's leader. And with a lot of young players coming up, I think he is a great player to have around, even if his numbers do continue to drop. Yeah, and, and, and like you said on Elvis, you know, I, I think that it's almost good to not ask him to be a leader. I think sometimes, you know, 162 games is a grind. Elvis is a guy that's going to have fun out there. He's that's a role that somebody needs to have, and and in leadership may not be his thing, but if his thing is he's going to keep this thing upbeat for 162 games, that's a different uh, role that that I'm I'm happy that he's going to fill. But uh, shifting focus a little bit uh, to the bullpen, the last few years this organization has had the luxury of having some somewhat known quantities in the bullpen, guys like Joe Nathan, Mike Adams. Uh, this year seems to have more question marks than, than I can remember, uh, at least in the past three, four years. 
Uh, you've got Feliz, Shepherds, and uh, Fujikawa kind of penciled in there, but how do you guys feel about kind of the rest of the bullpen shaking out? Right now, I'm okay with it. I mean, you have Roman, Roman Mendez. Um, you can mix in there, and you know, I don't know if the, what they're going to do with Sean Tolleson, if he's going to be back or or anything like that. But for you know, for right now, let's get into spring training and see how these guys pitch before you started getting you know too worked up about the bullpen. But I, but there is some concern there because there's a a lot of you know, value that's gone that they don't have any more, you know, reliable guys that you knew could just come in and get out like Neil Cotts and, and Nathan, like you mentioned. So for me, I'm okay. It's kind of a wait and see. Yeah. I, I think I read something at my, I can't remember if it was T.R. Sullivan or if it was Jeff Wilson. I can't remember, but um, his locks for the bullpen was Neftali Feliz, Sean Tolleson and Tanner Shepherds. Um, and like everything after that, basically, like you said, Patrick, other than those two or three, maybe arguably two, I think it's pretty much a wait and see. I think Fujikawa is a guy that they really would like to step up, and uh, he's making $1.1 million this year. He's been quoted as saying he feels he feels very close to normal again after the elbow surgery, after Tommy John. Um, hopefully he can return to that dominance that he had in Japan. Um, I'm still convinced Rot Detweiler, Ross Detweiler sorry, will end up in the bullpen. Um, and after that, it's pretty much – you know, it's a year-to-year crapshoot. This time last year, or two years ago, I can't remember, it was our fascination with the great Joe Ortiz, and, you know, he kind of came <laughs> out of nowhere. So um, it's it's always one of my favorite parts of spring training is seeing who emerges in that bullpen. Yeah, you know, I think that for a relief pitcher – or sorry, excuse me, I think for a young player entering the majors in a relief-type role is, you know, not that any of it's easy, but probably the easiest to adapt to right away. And I, I don't know – you know, are we going to get the same year out of Sean Tolleson? You know, I don't know. Is, is Neftali Feliz going to be the guy that we saw, you know, the second part of September? I, I certainly hope so. Tanner Shepard, uh, you know, is he going to be able to come back from them trying to make him a starter? I, you know, again, I hope so. I, I know that the bullpen, you know, it ebbs and flows so much. I'm really excited. The, the person, and I don't know if he's going to be in the bullpen at the beginning of the year or at any point this year, but Keone Kella. Uh, is a guy that I am incredibly excited. Uh, and I think, Patrick, I think we were kind of going back and forth on that. I'd really love to see him challenge the heck out of some of these big league guys for a spot, if not uh, getting it right off the bat in April at some point in May. Because, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a carousel with uh, guys maybe being overworked and, and they need to send them down, just, you know, a, a kind of a phantom call down to just get a, a live arm for a few days or whatever the case is. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think with a bullpen, it, it, a lot of it rests on Feliz's shoulders because you can fill some of those other spots, uh, by just trading an eye for an eye or, or replacing an eye for an eye, but not everyone can close just cause you can throw that eighth inning. We've seen this so often just cause you can throw an eighth inning doesn't mean you can throw a ninth inning. And we've seen that Feliz can be that guy. And I certainly hope he'll be that guy this year. Cause if not, uh, they're going to have to do some shuffling and maybe Kella is that guy. Maybe Shepherds is that guy. I don't know. I certainly don't want to try and find out this year, though. No, and I, I saw – did you see the quote? I think it came out yesterday with Maddox saw Kella, Kella's first bullpen, or maybe it was today, and said yeah. the ball comes out hot or something. You know, yeah. He, he said it comes yeah, out hot. Yeah, he was hot. impressed. Yeah. yeah, you could, you could tell yeah, just by – this morning. Yeah, you could tell he was, he was uh, like you said, just impressed with the way he, the ball comes out of his hand. So that's a great name to mention because I'm kind of excited about him as well. 
Okay, one one guy that I feel like nobody is talking about, um, just in general, is uh, Delano DeShields Jr., uh, the guy that the Rangers got in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, right now, he kind of seems to be the favorite uh, to back up Leonis Martin in center field, uh, despite having no experience above double-A uh, and being you know left unprotected by the Astros in, in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, he's a former consensus top 100 prospect, a former first-round pick, eighth overall back in 2010, um, do you, do you guys have a kind of a feel on, on, on how, what we should expect from, from him this year? Um, or, you know, what's, what's the backup plan? Um, if, if he doesn't turn out. Uh, good question. Um, for me, I, he's an unknown. There was some questions about his, you know, motor for lack of a better term. Um, of course, then he got hit in the face last year. It was a horrible injury. So that set him back a little bit. You know, I think the Rangers just want him to come in be a solid backup if he can do some pinch running, um, you know, and give Leonis a couple of days off here and there. Cause Leonis played just almost every day last year. And, um, you know, and just, and just be, uh, one of the 25 men who can contribute in different ways, but I don't think you're going to, I don't think they're looking for him to come out at, come in here and light the world on fire or anything like that. I, I think with, with him, it comes down to, do they does he show enough in spring training to trust uh, his youth over maybe a couple of the veteran guys they brought in, the, you know, and that's I think to me obviously everything comes down to having a great spring training. That's common sense. But do it, does he show enough uh, for they can trust him and stick as a fourth outfielder and uh, you know can he can he take guys like Sheerholtz and Blanks or Ludwig. You know, if those guys have good springs, yeah, I think he just has to win the trust of the front office and, and more importantly, Bannister. Yeah, you know, the, that speed is something that you really can't improve on, uh, you know, in spring. Some guys, you know, might hit better. They, they might field better, whatever. His speed is, is pretty unreal. I, I will say this, for whatever it's worth, I, I guess I was my uh, I was predisposed in a, in a bad way with him. I was at USC when he was going through his college recruiting, and it was a pretty known deal that he wasn't going to actually go to college. He was going to sign because he was going to be a high pick. But uh, I remember some of the USC coaches talking then about his attitude and not really being high on him. And he was too good of a talent to not reach out to and pursue, and they certainly did. But uh, I know that when he decided not to commit to USC – they weren't too upset, and, and it seems like that attitude thing's followed him around. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it, it takes getting moved or, you know, changing organizations for, uh, for a player to, to kind of get slapped uh, upside the head and, and wake up. Uh, I don't know. I'm curious. He's got major league speed, and that certainly is going to play a role. What is, you know, if he hits 215, I guess, would we be happy in a backup role? I, I don't know. I'm curious. What, what do you guys, what, what does he need to do? So let's say he gets the role. He is the backup center fielder. What would you like to see out of him at the plate? You know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think he's a really interesting guy. Uh, if, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, the attitude is kind of going to determine, I think, how, how far he goes because there's, there's a lot of talent in there. You know, last year he had, a, he had that 706 OPS in AA, but he was coming off of that uh, – that that facial injury so it, it's kind of hard to expect much but you know that was a step up in competition um you know it yeah it if he hits 215 and is solid defensively in a backup role i'm not i'm not real upset with that um i'm, I'm more interested in you know how he looks defensively but i think overall as a 
as kind of a prospect kind of a guy, he's definitely interesting. You know, he's, he's got a lot of tools. He stole 101 bases in the minor leagues two years ago. Um, and then, you know, just in 2013, between uh, uh, single A and, and, and high A, he's, his OPS is 856. So I think he's definitely an interesting guy. Um, yeah. And I think it I think it comes down to maybe how he fits within the uh, the role of this team. If if Prince Fielder's healthy and and driving the ball out of the ballpark, and Adrian Beltre's doing his thing, and they're getting power production, or you know they're getting production up and down the lineup, he doesn't ha- he can be exactly what you said, the speedy fourth fifth outfielder that comes off the bench and maybe pinch hits or plays you know every four or five days, and he's your pinch runner late in games to score on a double from first or something. I think it all kind of de- is determined by the other pieces around him. Do they have to forsake him because they need a little more power because they have an injury or they have this or they have that? I think that's kind of going to be part of the equation as well. And, you know, if if they go internally, if it's not the Shields, and my guess is that, you know, you ask the question, what happens if he's not the guy? If they were to look internally, I think it would be Anton Richardson or, or Jared Hoying. I don't think that they really want to go with Hoying just yet. Richardson, you guys know his claim to fame, right? I don't. He's the guy no, that I scored didn't. the winning run on Jeter's walk-off single uh, the last oh, game of the right. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that you know, he's got, I guess, some major league experience. Uh, my guess is they would go outside the organization to try and find someone. I think they they were reminded. I don't want to say they've learned because they certainly know this, but they were reminded last year not to be fooled by a great spring with Michael Choice. Michael Choice said, you know, a spring that sort of won him or solidified the job. And so I know a lot of people have said, well, if Jared Hoying has a great spring and Delano DeShields doesn't, they'd be inclined to put Hoying in that spot. I don't get the sense that they would do that just based on that because they've seen guys have great springs and that it doesn't translate at all at the major league level. So I think they'd still be invested in Hoyne's development for now. Uh, I don't think that they see a ton in Anton Richardson. I think that they would go outside the organization. Well, let me go back to the Shields real quick. You know, we talked about his attitude and the, and the questions there. With Jeff Bannister and Adrian Beltre, he's either going to be the player they want him to be or he won't be here because those two aren't going to put up with it. Yeah, and there's also a part of the maturation process. You know, that's a sure. You know, the the grind of the minor league season humbles some kids along the way at times. So you combine those things. I think I think it's something. I think it's a red flag that stays with you forever. Absolutely, but maybe he's matured since then. Hopefully, kind of continuing the discussion about the the bottom part of the roster and maybe the uh, the outfield competition a little bit. The uh, the Rangers brought in some pretty interesting guys uh, as non uh, roster invitees: Ryan Ludwig, Nate Shearholtz, Kyle Blanks. Uh, which of these guys do you guys feel like has the best chance to kind of surprise us and snatch a spot on the roster out of camp? I think it's Blanks. You know, he's got tremendous raw power. He's a little bit younger. Um, Ludwig. I'm not sure where he is as far as Sherholtz, but I know Sherholtz is, I think he's 30 or, or more. Yeah, yeah, so 31. I think it's blanks for me. Just gut feeling. It, the, the thing about blanks, he, you know, he's got, he's got the right-handed power that you want. He, he doesn't strike out a whole lot. He, he decent, you know, he had good, he, his strikeouts against lefties are, are pretty good. So it allows him to be a platoon for Moreland. That makes sense. I've read that, and I agree with that 100%. Um, he's, the thing about him is obviously his health. If he's healthy, 
great, but I think he's been on the disabled list six years in a row. He uh, he's just he's, he's coming off the bat Achilles. He's a cheap option if it works out great. If not, but um, it, it's hard for me to get a lot of trust and behind blanks because of the injury history. I think a lot of this depends on Ryan Rua and how much confidence they have in him being the the left fielder. And I don't know if that's going to be a role that you know anyone will necessarily be the everyday left fielder. I think you might have a a situation where one guy platoons with a little more responsibility than the other. But uh, the only thing I don't like about Blanks is that uh, you know to go along with the health, I don't know if they. I mean, I don't. I don't think they want to stick him in the outfield. And if you have a guy like. Ludwig or, or Sheerholz who can platoon as a, a left fielder and a DH. And, and even, I think, you know, Sheerholz play a little first if needed, uh, though, you know, he's a lefty as well. So I don't know how much they would use that. I, I think that ability to play the outfield gives the other two an advantage over Blanks. Uh, you know, as great of a power bat as Blanks is, especially compared to those two. And, and Jared, did you see where what John Daniels said about that basically kind of alluded to the fact that, yeah, we're not going to put him out there unless maybe he's completely healthy and it's... And yeah, it's, it's just not worth the risk, especially, you know, the left field of the ballpark is... is That's the more taxing corner spot than right. That's why there's all this talk about moving, you know, Chew over from left to right because that, that won't be as taxing for him. And, you know, with his outfield deficiencies, if you will, he'd probably be able to cover them up. So, I, yeah, I don't I don't see them doing it at all, especially if the the spotting question is left field. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I think the deal with the deal with blanks is that he's six, six two sixty five, uh, And the only problem I really see with Ludwig being a platoon guy is that his splits are really pretty even. So, I mean, it, you know, he might be a guy that if they don't believe in ruin could maybe handle it every day. If he's, if he's healthy and, you know, can, can have production. That's maybe not like he was two years ago, but something close. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Blanks has got the got the most upside, mostly because he's the youngest and he's got the most power. But um, I, I feel like Ludwig has maybe got um, as good a chance as anybody to to make the team. You know what I miss, guys? I, and I know that you can find a case here and there and, and whatnot. But it seemed like, and this is not a knock on Dave Magadan, although I was kind of surprised that he was back. I thought he was going to be one of the the fall guys. Maybe maybe Wash being that guy kind of helped him. But I miss those reclamation projects that would seek out Texas because they had so much trust in Rudy Jaramillo to help turn them around. And, and we'd see good years out of these guys. I mean, I, I don't know why. The first person that comes to mind is David DeLucci, and, and there's plenty of others. But I miss having that. That that was a real asset for this ball club. And even though it came during some of their dry years, uh, and so they didn't necessarily take advantage of it as far as wins and losses were concerned – like, I, I wish that I had the confidence that one of these guys would come here and just it would click because of the coaching and, you know, a different voice. I just don't know if I had that confidence. But if I had to pick one person with the most upside out of that group, uh, as far as realistic upside for this year, I, I think Blanks, obviously his power upside is through the charts or through the roofs uh, off the charts. I, I think I would go with Ryan Ludwig as maybe a little safer choice that could still do a little more than Sherholtz. But I miss having – not necessarily just Rudy Jaramillo, but I miss having that luxury of, of guys seeking out Texas because they knew that there was some sort of a, a hitting doctor by going to Arlington to play that would help their career. And on that note, I want to ask you, Jared, you and kind of not necessarily a reclamation project, but you mentioned Michael Choice earlier, and we're talking about left field candidates. 
where do you think Michael Choice goes from here after the disastrous 2014? What do you see happening to him, and not only this year, but maybe the next couple of years? Well, you know, I think he goes to Round Rock this year. Uh, and from what I know, from talking to some people, he's he's got to get his attitude changed around a little bit. It's not a an attitude of kicking dirt and throwing helmets and, you know, breaking coolers or anything. It's more a reluctance to let other people work with him on his swing. And I just, what I heard last year, a lot of the times, especially as he was going through the downs of his year, he, he felt like he knew his swing better than anyone else, which a lot of these hitters do, but was not nearly as open to letting other people try and help him. You know, when, when someone would say to him, hey, I think you're doing this, he would say, no, 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 I'm actually doing this, this and that wrong. And the results didn't work out. And so I'm, I'm interested to hear from those same people if they notice a change in attitude with Michael Choice as it relates to coaching and, and, and coachability. You know, we, we hear that thrown around. Because uh, if he doesn't, then I hate to say it, I, you know, I don't think he's going to be playing baseball professionally in the next three years. If he does, the guy clearly has a ton of talent. I think he takes this year, kind of gets, uh, gets his head right, gets a little confidence. And I think that, you know, he will compete for a, a, a spot maybe on the bench for the Rangers, uh, you know, next year. And, and shoot, I mean, if things go really well for him, which I, I don't know that I see happening, but if they go really, really well for him, maybe in the event of injury he gets called up. But he's got to take some time to, to get his attitude right as well. You know, we talked about attitude with Delino DeShields. I think Michael Choice's attitude is in a little different way. Uh, been a Achilles uh, heel for him. But I, I, from everything I hear, that's one of the big obstacles for him. And that, to me, sounds exactly like what we were seeing last year. I remember watching him have at-bats at the major league level and just looking at how lost he was at times. Just... I mean, the entire approach just really deteriorated. And you're right. I, I feel like with DeShields, his attitude, it's a very different attitude problem. I feel like I feel like Michael Choice got lost last year, and it's like didn't really invest in making any specific adjustment. And, you know, the, I think he's a guy that definitely needs some more minor league time, but that seems to be a place where he goes and it's like a comfort blanket and he, he looks like a 4A player, you know, when he goes down there and he just rakes and then he comes back and hits, you know, 150. Um, I, I really hope that we're able to get him back to where, you know, uh, at one time everybody kind of thought he was going to wind up being a 20, 25 homer, you know, 250 hitter kind of guy. And uh, he, he certainly did not look like that in the middle yeah. of last year. And and I know that with the Mavericks, this has come into play uh, in the conversation the last several years, uh, mainly with Darren Williams and then with LaMarcus Aldridge, guys wanting to come back home and play. I've heard from a lot of players in, in you know across several sports that it's not nearly as appealing as we like to believe it is. Now, I don't know that Michael Choice knew that or if this had any effect, but a lot of athletes – that I've talked to say, you know, it's, it's actually more of a distraction because now you got more people who want tickets. Sometimes you face more pressure delivering for your hometown team, but they always, they always talk about the distraction and Michael choice is a young player who I think is certainly susceptible to distraction. I'm curious how much playing for his hometown team uh, added to whatever struggles he had last year, last year, because year, because I'm not that much older than him, 
if I got the chance to play for the Rangers and I heard Rangers fans talking about how poorly I'm playing and this and that, and you know, I'm not delivering and I look at my numbers every day and they're terrible. I, I, I can't honestly sit here and tell you that wouldn't affect me. So I'm curious how much that plays a role. And I know we got a guy in Giovanni Gallardo who maybe fits a similar bill. He's a little more established and is a little more of a veteran than Michael Choice is. So hopefully it doesn't affect him as much, but I, I always found that interesting. The debate of, uh, the, the pros and cons of playing for your team, your hometown team, and coming home to play. Well, and that's kind of what they said about Chris Davis, the Longview kid. Right, right. And right. He, you know, he goes to Baltimore, gets some some of that pressure relief, so to speak, and, ha- you know, becomes Babe Ruth. So uh, I, that's interesting. I'm, I agree with you. I, I'm not sure how I feel or if there's anything to it, but it's it's definitely something that would I, – I, it would weigh on me heavily. I would. Well, and, and another factor there, at least to me, and I hate to, I hate to pull on uh, – a decade ago sports experience, but you know, confidence plays a huge part uh, in this game. And, and he did not look like he had any confidence toward the end of last year. And, you know, maybe a new manager, a guy like Jeff Bannister getting in his ear can maybe change that attitude a little bit or, or, or change his outlook to where when he, he comes up the plate, he doesn't look so timid, you know, where he, last year, I really felt like he would, he would enter in at bat knowing that he was going to strike out. And yeah, he was out before the at bat started. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. A lot of times. Well, and that and that goes what you were saying about approach and making adjustments. And you've heard it a million times. This game is all about adjustments. And if you're not willing to make them and you're not open to making some changes along the way, then you just you're going to get carved up and shipped back down. And then we saw that's what happened. Well, it, is there anything else you guys wanted to cover? I'm kind of. Uh, I'm curious as to what uh, I, I just I want to I want to hear your thoughts, Jared, on. Uh, Derek Collin, where you are on Derek Collin right now and kind of what you think 2015 has in store for him. That, to me, is one of the million-dollar questions for this season. Uh, I, I really think that what happened to him last year was a bit of a wake-up call uh, because I think you know his time with the Rangers highlighted, of course, by his one you know the game four in the World Series, eight and two thirds. But really, from a broader sense, I think a lot of it's been inconsistency and the inability to grab the reins as a you know a one B guy in the rotation, even if he's not a, a true ace, and run with it. And I was very impressed with him last year. Uh, you know, in and out of the clubhouse throughout the, the, you know, the misery of that season. And there was a point, I think it might have been in August. I think it was after he had another setback and it looked like September was going to be his, his return to baseball. And someone asked him, you know, why bother? You know, why, why not just, you know, hang it up for this year and focus on next year? And, and he said, he said something along the lines of because these guys are out there getting their butt kicked and I need to be a part of this. If we're going to lose, I want to be a part of the losing. I want to be out there with them. And that to me, I, I was so impressed by him saying that. And, and I thought as I walked back uh, out to the field, I think for batting practice, you know, I really think he's grown up and, you know, he had a, you know, he was engaged and it didn't work out. I think he's had some off the field stuff that has helped him mature the injury. I really think that he is going to have a, a great year. I don't know if he's going to be as dominant as he was in September because he was quite dominant, but I think we're going to see that a lot more than we see the Derek Collin that struggles to get guys out uh, because he's starting 1-0 and not 0-1. Uh, I really like I, – I think he's going to have a big year, and I would not have said that to you 
before last year. I, I was down on him going into last year, just, you know, his future outlook, not, you know, even though he wasn't going to start the year on the mound. Uh, I have changed tune with him, and I hope he does not make me look like an idiot. Yeah, I, I asked the question a couple of days ago, you know, who, who do you think will, will have a lower ERA this season, Giovanni Gallardo or Derek Holland? And, and to me, I think it's Derek Holland for sure. I mean, you look at his last 250 innings, ERA at 313, I, I think that he's, he's starting to figure things out. Uh, you know, it, I do hope that he's, he's matured to that level where he doesn't need the, uh, you know, the Ron ass chewing to kind of get his head on straight when he's out on the mound. Could, because I'm not sure that, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen Jeff Bannister in that mode yet, but um, man, I've, I've got really, really high expectations for him this year. And uh, I think that he has the stuff and, and, and uh, hopefully he has the mindset to, to really, really perform, like you said, is that one B. And Are your expectations higher for him than, than of mine of uh, Elvis? I don't know. That's probably pretty close. I know, I know that you've got high expectations for Elvis too. And, and I know that he's lost some weight and is, and is trying to get back to, you know, 2010 Elvis, 2011 Elvis. And uh, oh, he'll be yeah, a guy. Jerry, you think Jerry so? my, my thing is I, I think Elvis is going to have a career year. This will be the, the, his best year ever will, will come this year. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about, I know I talked about Bannister developing guys once they reach the the major league level. I'm a big believer in the competitiveness of these guys. And Elvis fits this category. I think Prince and Chu both fit this category as well. They were in, in different ways embarrassed last year by their performances and I think that plays a role, just like I think a contract year plays a role. I, you know, it, it obviously doesn't work 100% of the time, but a contract year is not just a myth that does not impact a guy's, uh, a guy's season. And I think that when you're coming off a year like Prince had where you know he, he came into the season with all this fanfare and even when healthy didn't give you much and he had a, a year to kind of reset. And I don't know if you guys saw Evan Grant's piece, but it really gave you insight into kind of what's going through his head and then Chew dealing with the injuries and, and we, you know, we learned so much about the Asian culture and the, the commitment to professionalism. And, you know, I think he, from everything I've heard, he really feels like he let down the team last year. And then Elvis, obviously, I mean, he was the first one to raise his hand and say, yeah, I screwed up. I think all three of those guys have that edge going for them. Now, whether it works out or not is to be determined, but I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think Elvis is going to have a good year because I, I think he kind of knows that at this point, He's he's past the period of getting babied. I mean, he's he's well past that. He screwed up last year by go, uh, going into the year unprepared. So I I hope you're right. I I certainly don't think it's a crazy idea at all. Well, uh, guys, did you guys have anything else or no? I, guess that was I just fun. killed it there. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, that's all right. That's, no, that's, no, that's, that's, that's all I got. Too. I, yeah, we, we kind of had a list of topics, and uh, and that was kind of the end of it. But, Jared, I, I really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, yeah, that was man, a lot of thank fun. Thank you so I, much. I, yeah, I really you. look forward to hearing you on the post on the post-game show and the pre-game show, I guess, this year. Yeah, hey, and guys, I, I, I genuinely mean this. I appreciate all the support and, you know, the, the messages I've gotten from you guys and having me on. It really does mean a lot because I know uh, – um, you know, people aren't, uh, aren't always open to change and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, there's, I know with Mike and Sean and Ty, that's, uh, I think Rangers fans are really lucky with, with those two pre and post game shows or just post, I guess, with a ticket, but, uh, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to try and, uh, reach their standard, but I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support. 
Well, Jared, if you need to practice handling the angry Ranger fan rant after a loss, just holler at me, and I'll I'll do some improv with you. Yeah, well, you might need a <laughs> yeah. You can you can you know feel free to prank me throughout the season and just try and troll and, and get some sort of rise on me, I rise out of me. I would not mind at all. Uh, I'm looking. Yeah, because uh, be prepared for some shitty phone calls, man. Oh, I heard them last year. I know one guy. I think his name was Dallas from Arlington. Tried to fire peas on air. He. I think he even said to him, I, I think you should be fired or something. It was crazy. He said, I like the guy who does the pregame show, but you, this guy doing the postgame show, he should be fired. And I guess he didn't realize it was the same person. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm looking forward to it. I know you're going to do a great job, and I, spring can't get here soon enough. Yeah, guys, I'm really excited. I'll be out in uh, Arizona all of March, so I can't wait. Cool, man. Hey, well, I'll keep up with you on Twitter. I'm sure we'll talk several times. Yeah, and anytime you guys need need me to do anything like this, I'm always happy to help. I really am. Oh, man, thank you so oh, much. Right. Thanks again. All right, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Take care. Man. Have a good night. Uh-huh. All right, you too. Thank you. And that is another episode of The Setup, man. Uh, thank you so much, Jared, one more time, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time. Uh, look forward to it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.